And as you hear that, I don't know uh, how you feel. I, I am aware that it's not December, um, so please don't worry about that. Um, but I wonder what you think of that challenge. I wonder um, if you realize that a lot of people uh, outside of the church hold that opinion about the Christian faith, that Jesus is just Santa Claus for grown-ups. And I wonder what you think about um, this idea of apologetics, um, this little Christian jargony phrase, apologetics, that we use in the church, but many of us don't necessarily understand what it means. Well, it's one of those weird words which sounds like something that it's not really. Um, apologia is the Greek, which means to give an answer or a defense. It's the kind of word that you would have found in a courtroom. And it came into the English language fairly on, uh, early on, as words go. And it's lurked around with its original meaning for a few hundred years, being something that was used in the law courts and that sort of thing. And then in the late 1500s, it began to mean this thing, a frank expression of regret for wrong. And eventually, uh, over the next couple of hundred years, it matured into its main meaning now in English, to apologize. But when we talk about apologetics in church, we're not talking about saying sorry for the Christian faith. We're not saying, oh, I'm terribly sorry I'm a Christian. Um, that must be really rather irritating for you. Um, we are saying, actually, we have something really wonderful to be excited about. We have a God who has transformed our lives. Um, and actually, we want to talk about him. So that's where we start today, giving an answer or a reason or an explanation for the faith that we have. And if you want a biblical basis for why we do that, if it wasn't um, vaguely obvious, um, 1 Peter 3.15 is a great place to start. It says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So when we come to defend our faith, we're not going in all guns blazing, trying to batter the other person out of the way and win the argument. But what we're trying to do is explain what the hope that we have is, because it's wonderful, and to do it with gentleness and reverence. I think one of the questions we have to ask, though, is um, in this world where people uh, live quite happily by themselves in their own little communities. Um, are people actually asking what Jesus is all about? Are people asking questions about the Christian faith? And if they are, what questions are they asking? I was watching a film the other day and, and one of the lead characters in it said, I don't know anyone who goes to church anymore. And I thought that is so true for so many of the people that I meet that they actually don't know anyone who goes to church anymore. They don't really have any questions about Jesus because he seems a bit irrelevant in their life. But there are some people who are asking questions. Um, and among them, there are lots and lots of atheists who are very angry and very cross about the church. Um, and I don't know if you've ever spent an afternoon reading atheist websites. Um, probably afterwards you want a good cup of tea and a, an entertaining film because they can be quite hard work to read. Um, but they're really interesting what they accuse us of as Christians, what opinion they have of us. Um, and, I, and one of the things that they say is, is Jesus is Santa Claus for grown-ups. I'm going to let you draw conclusions, um, just in case uh, there's anyone in the room that would find that conclusion difficult for obvious reasons, ideally if they're under 11. Um, but, but the idea is that Jesus and Santa Claus are equal 
in terms of their relevance to my life uh, and the importance and the impact that they're going to have in it. And I, I don't think that that is necessarily true. Now, there are some obvious similarities um, between Jesus and Santa Claus. Um, they both have beards. Different colors, but both beards. Um, they both have an unusually large number of names, don't they? You've got Father Christmas, Santa Claus, St. Nick. On the other hand, you've got Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, the Son of Man. They both have surnames that start with C, so they'd be sort of close to each other in the register at school. Um, but other than that, there are quite a lot of differences. One of the other things is both of them seem to know an uncomfortably large amount about all of us. They know whether we've been naughty or nice. They know where we live, how old we are, our eye color, our height, and which chimney pot we live under, assuming you still have a chimney pot. But there are quite a few significant differences. So the first thing is that Santa divides us between being naughty and nice. Which list are you on? And much against common perception, Jesus doesn't. According to Jesus, we're all on the naughty list. And that's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? I think that when we examine ourselves, we all realize that actually we are not quite as good as we thought we might be. I have a a naughty older brother who often would be threatened with the naughty list at Christmas, but he never never actually got coal. Um, But, you know, there is that sense that some of us are better than others, and is there a scale? Well, Jesus says, no, we're not all on one list or the other, we are all on the naughty list. And I think that's quite uncomfortable. Jesus says, you're on the naughty list, but I'm going to change that for you. So why might people think Jesus and Santa Claus act the same? I think as adults, we have a bit of a tendency sometimes to turn to Jesus, and this is us within the church I'm talking about, to turn to Jesus with a bit of a shopping list just like we do when it's coming up to Christmas and we're writing to Santa at the North Pole. These are the things that I would really like you to do for me today, Lord. I would really like uh, a new iPad, a new house, that promotion at work. I would really like that new car, uh, that new buggy to put my baby in. I would really like another child. Lord, can you make all of these things happen? And I think for some people outside of the church, that's how they see us behaving. And it's no surprise then that they draw that parallel between Jesus and Santa Claus. Kind of a wish fulfillment, a big pie in the sky, someone who's going to give you all the things that you've asked for. And I think we're really guilty sometimes in the church of turning God into this great big present-making machine. I think sometimes we, we want him to be someone who serves our needs. We're not really content for us to be the people who serve him unless he gives us what we want. And I think that's a very uncomfortable challenge for us in the church. But actually, it's sometimes what people outside see. They see Jesus as someone that we only go to when we want something, when we want him to change a situation for us. And they see him as someone who doesn't always do that for us. And that makes them uncomfortable and skeptical. I think sometimes we forget that what Jesus did for us was a lot more than turning up with a sleigh, uh, some beautiful reindeer and a whole set of presents for us. You see, I think we often want Jesus to be something nice, something good, something happy, to take away the pain of of this specific moment, just like it did when you were five and uh, Santa gave you that present you really wanted for Christmas. 
And I think in our consumerist culture, we tend to want to buy our way out of uncomfortable situations with real fixes, to cover the pain or the emptiness with the next toy or car or drink or promotion or holiday. Covering the pain up rather than, as that that man very kindly prophesied for us earlier, um, seeing God as with us as we persevere and he transforms us in the situation. You see, Jesus offers us something much more permanent, much more wholesome, much more holistic and fulfilling. He doesn't offer to take our pain away just for today, but to transform our whole lives and the lives of the people around us. Jesus himself is the best present we will ever get. God has already given you. He has given me, he has given us the best that he had to offer, and its batteries don't run out. It even comes with them. Um, God knows that we tend to be naughty, that we tend to get ourselves into trouble, that we do things that we wish we hadn't, and we tend to regret them, but he is able to change that for us. See, I think... Sometimes we want to wriggle out of that uncomfortable situation of being on the naughty list of the idea that, that actually things go wrong in our world. We, we kind of want to believe, don't we, that people are intrinsically good and just sometimes they get into a bit of trouble. Um, I studied English as my first degree and, and literally everywhere that you look, you see corruption, depravity, pain, suffering, anger, all those sorts of things in the name of a good story. And okay, some of it is, is hyped up for the purpose, but isn't that in some ways what we see all around us in the news, among our friends, at the school gate, at work? The world around us is completely wacky. Um, you know that phrase, you, you couldn't make it all up. Well, I just don't think that we can make up the amount of chaos and suffering and sin that is in the world. Jesus came to rescue us from all of that, from the totality of that. He came as the present that lets us find a way through and out of it. God knew that we were sinful. He knew that that the naughty list was where we would all end up. And in order to be in good relationship with him and to come off the naughty list, he sent us Jesus Jesus offers us so much hope. He's not just a moment of consumerist gratification. He is the hope of eternal life, which is really, really good news. John 3.16, as I'm sure many of you know, says, For God so loved the world, brackets and all the people in it, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him might not die, but have eternal life. Jesus doesn't come as a judge, but he comes as the one who brings us a gift. You see, lots of people outside of the church have fundamentally misunderstood who Jesus is. They think that when they see a picture of Jesus hanging and dying on a cross, that he's there as judgment, anger, frustration, disappointment, rather than hope and joy and excitement. They claim that Christians are arrogant They claim that we have no common sense when it comes to what we believe in. And actually, I want to say that we do. We have really good reason to believe in a God who loves us and who came to earth incarnate to change our situation. So what else is different 
between Jesus and Santa? Well, let's be honest, both have a basis in historical fact. Um, For those of you who know the story of St. Nicholas, you will understand how uh, St. Nicholas becomes Santa Claus. But actually, when we look at Jesus, we see that we have loads and loads of historical information about who he is, how he lived, the people that he was among. Um, I'm I'm not going to go into it in loads of detail here, simply because of time, and as some of you may have roasts in the oven. Um, But if you want to find out a little bit more about the historical evidence for Jesus, um, and you love reading, um, I can highly recommend Amy or Ewing's book, Why Trust the Bible. If you are a visual learner or an audio learner, um, why not watch the Alpha Course session on Who is Jesus? There's loads of great stuff in there. So another question you might be asking or might be asked by some of your friends is, uh, Christians claim that Jesus is the only way, that their God is the only God. And, And in this world where, you know, it's multicultural, we need to be tolerant, we need to love people, is that not arrogant, rude, presumptuous, and frankly rather unhelpful? to claim that your God is the only God. Most atheists, in fact, lots of people who are agnostic, believe that God, any belief in God, is simply outdated. You just haven't really caught up with the times if you believe in God. How could you possibly do that? Um, you're a little bit backwards. Um, read some modern books. And I think, I think there is that real perception in our culture that believing in Jesus is outdated. But I put it to you that the best way to decide whether or not the claims of Jesus are outdated and belief in Jesus is outdated is to look at him. Because when we look at him, we see someone who is incredibly sort of modern in his thought, who's incredibly progressive in the way that he deals with the people around him. He is a man whose teaching has never been superseded by greater wisdom or greater kindness greater generosity and a greater desire to reach out and embrace all people. But it's also tempered with claims that he is the only way to the Father, that no one can come to God except through him. He claims to be divine. He claims to be unique. He claims to be God himself. He claims to be the only one who can deal with sin. The thing is, his claims place him absolutely and immediately at odds with every other religion and every other worldview. You simply cannot hold the claims and the teachings of Jesus alongside those of any other religion or alongside atheism or alongside secularism. They just don't fit together. And we we need to be really careful as we talk about this, about not arrogantly barging in there and saying, my way is right and you know, you have no opinion and it's not valid here. We need to be generous and kind like that passage in 1 Peter said. But we also need to be realistic. If there is such a thing as truth, then there must be one of them and it must be true. There are lots and lots of truth claims out there in the world and they all clash and they all contradict each other. And we need, as Christians, to examine what the truth claims of Christianity are. What what are we claiming to believe in? Who is it that we say that we believe in? And I think as we look at it, a great starting place for us is looking at Easter, at the events of Easter. You see, when the Bible states that Jesus died on the cross and rose again three days later from the dead, that is extraordinary. 
that is the central point of our faith. And it's probably one of the oldest Christian creedal statements that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians 15, which is probably one of our earliest excerpts of Christian writing. It's dated right back to the beginning of the church. And it says that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection are the core of our faith. But the problem is in a multicultural world in which, in the Quran it says, in Sarah 157, Jesus did not die and rise bodily three days later. One or other of them has to be true. We can't possibly hold that they're both true at the same time. Similarly, we have clashes with, with other religions like Hinduism, which teach that there are many gods. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, The Lord your God is the only God. We can't have both. We can't hold uh, an atheist truth claim that there is no God alongside faith in Jesus Christ. So it leaves us in that uncomfortable position, doesn't it, of, of disagreeing with people about what is truth, but wanting to treat them with kindness and gentleness and, and to have dialogue and conversation with them. So I want to encourage you um, to try doing that. If, if it's any consolation, the early church also lived in a pluralistic environment. They had loads of religions, loads of gods, loads of philosophy going on in the world around them. And they were able to speak and articulate clearly the faith that they had in Jesus. And they saw thousands upon thousands of people coming to know him. So we're not doing it for the first time, um, but we are in this, in this challenging situation. It's a huge challenge for us, isn't it, today to speak of Jesus as the truth in a culture where we're told that there is no truth. In an environment where we're told um, that Jesus cannot possibly be the Lord because that would be disrespectful to other people. And ultimately the question is not what do we prefer or how comfortable do we want to be in our conversations, but what is God calling us to? What do we believe? What is the truth? And are we ready to risk saying it to other people? Uh, Dostoevsky once said, the most pressing question of the problem of faith is whether a man as a civilized being can believe in the divinity of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for therein rests the whole of our faith. I think that is a really important question for us, isn't it? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is truly who he says he is? Do we really believe that he is the divine son of God? And if we do, how does our life reflect that? How do our conversations reflect that? If we believe that Jesus Christ is not the son of God, well, then the rest of our conversation simply evaporates and um, and it's very easy to move like my aunt from wanting to become a vicar to becoming an atheist. It all depends on Jesus. Now, are there any other differences um, between Jesus and Santa? Well, I mean, obviously there's footwear. Santa needs snow boots, Jesus needs sandals. Um, but seriously, are there any other differences? Well, I think, I think the one that is is most exciting for us as a church is that we believe in a Lord who comes into our lives. We believe in a Holy Spirit that lives in us. 
We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We read it in the Bible. We experience it in our lives. We encounter him by the Spirit. We see evidence for it in the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, God himself, dying for our sins, giving us the best present we possibly could ever have. There's loads and loads of evidence for him. There's loads of wonderful things to read and learn about him. And this morning is genuinely just a snippet. It's just a taster, I hope, of some things that come up as you talk about apologetics, as we discuss questions of faith and how we relate to people outside the church. I hope this morning has sparked your interest. I hope it's been reasonably fun. It's probably left you with more questions unanswered than answered. I did expect to do that. Um, But as we continue the series, I hope that you'll have an opportunity to drop into some things deeper to talk more about suffering, to talk more about science, to ask questions about, do all roads lead to God? And I want to encourage you as well that that this Equip series is just a starting place. I want to encourage you to, to grapple with questions about God, to read books, to resource yourself, to go deeper. And I want to encourage you to talk to your friends who don't know Jesus and ask them what they think of him. What are their questions? What are their opinions? And actually to listen. Because as we talk to people outside of the church, we we begin to understand what people perceive of Jesus. And some of you may have, have loads of ideas about what that's like. And some of you may have no idea what people think of Jesus. But ask. You have really interesting responses to your question. And I hope you'll begin to find your own voice if you haven't found it already about how you answer these difficult questions about God. And uh, I hope it's really fun. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. That was wonderful, wasn't it? So why don't we turn to the person next to us or around us. What's the, what's the, what's the main thing you're going to take from that talk? What are you taking away? What's the takeout? 30 seconds. <laughs> 